Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Rick Kiley. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. In Genesis, God spoke to Adam and told him one thing that he couldn't do. He said, you cannot eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the warning was this, that if you do, you will die. That's all. There's no Ten Commandments, there's no law, there's no all these books of the Bible listing situations that you have to deal with from a legal perspective. Just one thing. And of course, they did. They ate from that tree. And I want to pick up in verse number eight of Genesis 3, And they heard the voice of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said, where are you? Where are you? And today for a few minutes I wanna preach on this subject. When God comes looking, for you, when God comes looking for you. God bless you, you may be seated. Now we know that God knows all things. Can I get an amen to that? So God knows that Adam and Eve have partaken of the tree that they were not supposed to partake of. But he sticks with his routine. His routine is that he walks with Adam in the cool of the day. Probably means in the morning and in the evening because those are the coolest parts of every day. And so in spite of the fact that God knows that Adam and Eve have sinned against him, he still comes to take a walk with Adam. And when he can't find him, and eventually confronts him, he says, where are you? Now, does God not know where he is? Or does Adam not know where Adam is? God could ask us the same question today. Substitute your own name. Where are you, Rick? Where are you, Cheryl? Where are you, Liz? Where are you, Tom? Where are you, Cliff? Where, where are you? Where are you in our relationship? I've come to spend time with you, but where are you? Now, Adam, of course, is going to make excuses and he's gonna blame other people and and the questions are going to continue. But I wanna begin with, where are you today? Where are you? I remember when I was 22 years old, I had stopped going to church after my parents stopped making me. I didn't have a choice when I was living in their house as to whether or not I'd go to church. You went to church, that's it. You didn't even have to like it. But you're gonna go. But when I got out of the house, when I was 18 years old and I left home, then I decided I wasn't gonna go anymore. I was disappointed 
with a situation that had happened in the church. Um, maybe I'll just take, take a moment to tell you a little bit about it. One of the greatest men that I ever met was, was a United Methodist minister. He is no longer alive. His name is Ed Zager. He was a huge guy. He, he was a tight end football player. He played uh, at North Central College. He became a pastor in the Methodist organization. And he was one of my heroes as I was growing up, especially when I was a teenager because he took all the teenagers off the street. We played football or baseball together. We went to the beach together. We had YF, which stands for Youth Fellowship. He was very active with the youth. He even took us up north to his cottage at Three Lakes up in northern Wisconsin. And I just really admired the guy. But for whatever reason, later as a teenager, the church wanted to get rid of him. So they brought in what they called a bishop. And the bishop sat behind a desk and, and I was allowed to be in the meeting because I was over 16 and everybody took a shot at the pastor after he had been asked to leave the room. So the pastor was sent to the foyer and the bishop was going to hear all the complaints against the pastor. Some people complained about this and complained about that, but they couldn't prove anything. Their witnesses did not agree, just as as it was with Jesus. And I was very, very upset at this meeting. Matter of fact, even though I was 16, I cried in the meeting for this man because I loved him and I felt he was being attacked. Matter of fact, I even stood up in the meeting and said a couple of sentences and then sat back down. Well, once they couldn't agree on how to get rid of him, one person stood up and he said this. As the adults of this congregation, we pay this man's salary. He's not paying enough attention to the adults. He's paying too much attention to the kids. That's why we want him gone. The bishop allowed them to vote and they kicked him out. He was removed from his position. I ran out of that meeting so angry and I, he just happened to be in the foyer and he saw me coming, and I remember I jumped right up in his arms. I was so upset. That was really the beginning of my ending of Christianity at that point in my life. You know, there's a number of ways that Satan will use to try and get you to give up on your faith. This was the one he used on me. He could use money. All they ever talk about is money. Hear that argument? So I'm not going to church. Oh, there's a bunch of gossips and hypocrites in that church, so I'm better than they are, and I, I, so I don't have to go to church. I remember, just as a side note, I remember one time, we were over on Oakwood Avenue, and I was greeting some people as they were leaving, and the guy walked up to me and said, this is my last service. I said, oh, well, I'm real sorry to hear that. I said, could I ask you why? He said, yeah, everybody in here is a bunch of hypocrites. I said, well, and this, you know, God will do this for you if you really listen. He'll do it for anybody. And God gave me a word right away. And I said, well, let me ask you this. If you step off the curb this morning and you get hit by a car, what do you want me to do about it? He said, well, I want you to pray for me. I said, I will. I said, if you are not instantly healed, what do you want me to do next? He said, well, get me to the hospital. 
I said, well, why would I send you to the hospital? Everybody at the hospital is either sick or diseased. They're all sick. There's some hypocrites in the church. Okay. There's some hypocrites. There's some gossips in the church. Okay. There's some weeds in the church. But listen to what Jesus said. When they said, should we go out there and pull all these weeds out of the field? He said, no, you leave them alone. It'll be taken care of, but not by you. I'll take the harvest and then I'll burn the weeds. Listen, you're not gonna fix everything. And there's gonna be people that are imperfect sitting next to you. But you need to work out your own salvation with fear and with trembling. You need to do the right thing, even if somebody else doesn't. You need to be faithful to the end. So I stopped going to church. Once I turned 18, I stopped because of that. I guess that was, then I met another great man when I was 22. Because at the age of 22, after I had left God, so to speak, I had a lot of problems. And I remember a specific evening when I realized all of my gimmicks, all of my tricks to put off the bill collectors and try and appease people and make them happy was not working and everybody was after me. And it all caved in on me. I remember going into my bedroom, kneeling down by my bed and saying, this is what I said, I can remember it like yesterday. If there is a God, and if this God will help me with my problems, I will do whatever this God asks me to do. So I was trying to make a deal with God. There's the deal. I thought, you know, if he comes at me and says, okay, well, I helped you out. Now I I want you to do what I tell you to do. That means I have to go to church for one hour a week and put in my time. That's my part of the bargain. I had no idea what I had just said. I'll do whatever you ask me to do. I had no concept of what that could be. But God took the deal. And soon things began to work out. But then God came looking for me. And here's how he did it. He sent a fireman. One night my wife said, "Hun, you need to go to the store and I you know, just something we needed for a meal. It was only, you know, just the one item type thing. And so I said, okay, I'll go get it. And I went to the store and I came back and here's this fire truck in front of our apartment complex. And I knew the fireman from playing ball with him and he used to go to the Methodist church and he wasn't such a nice guy, but I knew him. And, and he saw me and he said, oh, Rick, he said, the fire's not even in your apartment. It's the next one over, it's just a stove fire. It's nothing, don't worry about it. But God sent me here to invite you to Parkway Apostolic Church. And as soon as he said that, I thought, oh no. God did what he said he'd do, and now I have to do what I said I'd do. So I couldn't deny him. 
I couldn't live with myself if, if I said no, so I said, all right. He told me when the service was. Now, he didn't tell me anything about a Pentecostal church service. And if you're a visitor here for the first time, let me put you at ease. I know exactly how you feel. What is this? And what is this? And what is this? I had no clue what all of that was. Well, if you're a football fan, here's how you need to go to church. Go to church like you're going to a Packer game. If you're the kind of person that likes music, go to church like you're going to a concert. You get it? People are not inhibited in an atmosphere in which they want to be in, where they're excited and they're happy to be there. And when you go, and, and money doesn't stop them either. They'll spend a lot of money to go to a game or a concert or whatever it is that they enjoy doing. Just go there like you want to be there with a good attitude and feel after the Spirit. Surely, I'm going to tell you something. Surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. And if you allow yourself to open up just a little bit, you'll feel something you've never felt before. And the love of God will begin to come over you. You know why? Because God's been looking for you. And he brought you here this very morning. This very morning. Maybe he didn't use a fireman. Maybe he used another person that's sitting near you. Maybe you just came on your own and you think, well, it was my idea. It was not your idea. It was God's idea. It was orchestrated by God. God brought you here because he's been looking for you. And I remember going to that Pentecostal service and all of that. I got past that real quick. I even got past people that were not very wise that said some things about, about me or my wife that could have taken us right back out the door. Listen, you just, I, my father had a saying. He said, ignore the ignorant. There are some ignorant people. Just let it go in one ear and out the other. Just come to the house of God because you want to worship God in spirit and in truth because you want to hear the unadulterated word of God and because you want to be pleasing and learn how you can draw closer to God. Come for those reasons. And forget about the distractions. And just open up your heart and let God do some great... God completely changed my life. Completely. You probably wouldn't know it, but I was a very angry person. I was, I was a young man that had a very limited vocabulary. I remember my wife saying to me one time, Rick, I'm really worried about you. Because I'm concerned that the first words our kids are going to say are not mommy and daddy. They're going to be curse words. That's how bad you got this. You don't even realize it. 
the anger and the way you talk separate from God. But God did. And God was looking for me. And he used a fireman to invite me. And he taught me a home Bible study. Hey, I'm going to extend this invitation too. This is the way the fireman spoke to me. He said, Rick, let me ask you one question. All right, what's the question? He said, if I said to you, if you will give me 12 hours of your life, one hour a week for 12 weeks, I will take you from Genesis to Revelation, and in those 12 hours you will learn more about the Bible, not tradition, not religion, but the Bible, in those 12 hours, than you've learned in the previous 22 years of your life, and it won't cost you a dime, and it could make a difference in your eternity, would you be interested? Well, how can you say no to that? You give 12 hours to all kinds of foolishness. And I took it. And I want you to know, it was those church services and the presence of God And it was the word of God that brought me to an altar because God was looking for me. And I think he repeats that process over and over again in our lives. God's looking for you today. Did you know that? He's looking for you. Now let me give you an example, another example. You might feel like you're not worthy. Let's take a look at Isaiah 6. Isaiah 6 and 5 reads this way. This is what Isaiah said. Woe is me. I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So he didn't feel worthy. Anybody here ever feel unworthy? a man of unclean lips like I just described. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. He laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this has touched thy lips. Thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin is purged. Let me stop here. Iniquity is sin that has followed your family for generations. It could be alcoholism. Well, my father was an alcoholic, my grandfather was an alcoholic, and so on. There's iniquity. Observed and then practiced sin that follows your family for generations. And Isaiah was saying that he had iniquity which led him into sin. Now, it's still your choice. Don't blame your parents. Don't blame your grandparents, but you observed them and you got caught up in their sin and and it was called iniquity. Excuse me. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then said I, here am I, send me. Here's a man that didn't feel worthy to be in the presence of God But a hot coal from the altar is brought to his lips. His sin and his iniquity are purged. 
meaning there's something that is changed in his life. And when that happens, God says, who's going to go for me? And he raises his hand. Hey, how about me? Wow. How about you? Why not you? Why can't God use you? Why do we think God always has to use somebody else? Because we feel unworthy. We feel unqualified. Listen to what my pastor taught me. God doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. So if God calls you, he will take care of the qualification. Are you hearing me? It's usually the qualified that he can't call because they rely on their own ability. But God can call you. He's looking for you. And Isaiah was willing to go. Let's take a look at a hothead. I just talked to you about one. Let's talk about another one. Luke chapter five and verse four. Let's talk about Peter. Now, here's what happened earlier in the chapter. There was a large crowd gathered and Jesus realized he would not be able to speak to the crowd from land, so he was going to use science, which he created. He's the creator of all things. Okay, so the creator says, all right, hey, you, over here, come here. I want you, no, 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 you can stay there, sorry. I want you, I want to borrow your boat. Okay, what do you want me to do? He said, I want you to allow me to get on your boat and I want you to go out just a little ways so that my voice will carry across the water so that all these people will be able to hear what I'm saying because they won't be able to hear me on dry ground. There's too many of them. My voice will carry over the water. Would you be willing to do that? Well, okay. I'm done fishing for the night. Had a lousy night fishing. Now yeah, we'll take you out on the boat. So he takes him out. Peter, or Jesus says what he has to say, and then Jesus turns to Peter because Jesus is a gentleman. He always pays. He always rewards obedience. Always. He rewards obedience. Thank you, Peter, for letting me use your boat. So he says to him here, here's what he says. Simon, Launch out into the deep. This is verse four of Luke five. And let down, notice this, he said, let down your nets. That means all the nets you've got for a draught or a catch. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we've toiled all night. We've taken nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net, meaning one. That's all I've got faith for. And when this was done, there enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their net broke. Why? Too many fish, not enough nets. Is anybody preaching with me today? We do not have a lack of fish. We have a lack of nets. Remember, God qualifies the called. And he's calling you today. 
They beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. They came and they filled both ships so full that they began to sink. It was obvious what Jesus had done. It was obvious to Peter at this moment who he was. He couldn't deny it. We are expert fishermen. We fished all night. We've caught nothing. And now two ships are sinking because there's too many fish on them. That's the problem we want to have in the church. And when Simon Peter saw it, watch this. Can you picture this in your mind? He fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me, I am a sinful man, O Lord. He felt unworthy. That is the number one tool that the enemy uses to prevent us from doing what God has called us to do. Let down the nets, go fishing. And Peter says, I'm a sinful man. Why? He had the same problem I had. He's a hothead. His mouth gets him in trouble. I'll tell you what, those are the, God looks at people like that and says, what an opportunity. We look at it and say, what a problem. But who's going to get the glory? for the conversion that takes place in Peter's life and in your life. I can't tell you, well, you know, Rick Kiley learned how to control his mouth. I didn't learn to control my mouth. I needed to fall before God and say I'm a sinful man. I need to ask God to change my life, to deliver me from this vice, this ungodly vice, Hey, is there anybody here in the house today that needs help? Anybody here got an anger issue? Boy, it seems like we're talking about that a lot in this message. Maybe there's a good group of people in the house today, they got anger issues. They can't control their mouth. The answer is not putting duct tape on it. The answer is coming to an altar. Acknowledging that you're a sinful man, that there's iniquity in your life, and finding a hot coal that allows you to be changed because God's been looking for you and he's got you right where he wants you. And he did it with Peter. How about this guy? Here's another guy. This guy's a rough one. Acts chapter 9. This guy named Saul. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus. Unto the high priest and the synagogues. And if they found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And he journeyed and came near Damascus. And suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. He fell to the earth. He heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, well, who are you? And the Lord said, I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. It's hard for you to kick against the pricks. Here's a guy that's persecuting the church, the worst enemy of the church. And God went looking for him. And when he found him, he knocked him down. Because sometimes that's the only position that we listen from. 
and I feel like I'm getting knocked down all the time. Start listening. What is it, God? What, what are you trying to say to me? Who are you, Lord? If there's any question as to who the Lord is, it's answered right here. I'm Jesus. You're persecuting me, Jesus said. Did you see that? You're persecuting me. No, I'm not persecuting you, Jesus. I've never even met you. Well, when you come against my bride, you're coming against me. And you know what, Saul? It's hard for you, isn't it? It's difficult for you because I have this stick with this really sharp point on the end of it and I've been pricking you all along trying to get you to go another direction and you've kicked against me. So since that doesn't work, I'm gonna knock you down on the road and I'm gonna take your sight since you refuse to look for my will. And he says, well, what do you want me to do? Now, why doesn't Jesus tell him what to do here? Why doesn't, I mean, the guy is asking the question here. It's, it's right here. Uh, verse six, what will you have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, rise, go into the city. It'll be told you what you, what you must do. Why doesn't he tell him? Because Jesus does not preach the gospel. He lived it. He paid for it, but he doesn't preach it. He does not allow even angels to preach the gospel. That belongs to the fishermen. That belongs to the bride. That's our responsibility. He did the heavy lifting. It's our job to go into all the world and make disciples. And so he even himself won't do it. And he says, you're gonna go to this city. Now here, watch how God does this. So here's this guy laying in the dirt and he, and he goes to this guy named Ananias. For the sake of time, I'm just gonna tell you the story and not read it to you. So, Jesus finishes his conversation with Saul and he says, now I gotta find Ananias. Ananias, here I am, Lord. Got a job for you. Yes, Lord, what is it? I'm having Saul of Tarsus come to your house and you're going to preach the gospel to him. Whoa, wait a minute, Lord. I've heard a lot about this guy. He's a tremendous persecutor of the church. He might even come to try and take me to Damascus. And the Lord says, you do what I tell you to do, and you trust me. He's going to be my servant, and he will suffer also. Yes, Lord. Here comes Saul. Ananias preaches to him because God's looking for Saul and he connects people. He's very good at this. That's again why you're here today because he connected you with somebody else or just even with his spirit to bring you here today. I've said that already. So now he's using Ananias to bring the message to Saul and Saul is converted. Then a few chapters, just the next chapter, he comes across another guy. And this guy sent an angel because God was looking for Cornelius. Now let's take a, go over here to Acts chapter 10. I want you to read about this, this 
Greek, Italian, which means Gentile. There was a certain man, Acts 10 and 1, there was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band. He is not a Jew, he is an Italian. Description of the man, devout man, one that feared God with all his house, gave much alms to the people, prayed to God always. How's this for somebody, for his resume? How many of you, if you didn't know the Bible very well, would say, this guy's saved? I mean, if anybody deserves to go to heaven, look at these devout, fears God, trains his family that way, gives a lot of money to people, and prays all the time. He should go to heaven. He should go to heaven if he can be saved by his works. But I'm here today, I know this is gonna mess with your theology, I'm here today to tell you that nobody can be saved by their works. They can only be saved by his works and their obedience. That's the only way you're gonna be saved. I don't care how good you, well, I, what'd you do with your life? I joined the Peace Corps. I sent money to people that didn't have food. I, I've sent money to orphanages. I've given a lot of money. Not good enough. Not good enough. I'm going to heaven because Jesus died on a cross for my sins. And by his spirit, he led me to an altar of repentance where I placed my life on an altar even though I didn't totally understand what that meant. I was obedient to his word because I was baptized in his name for the remission of my sins. I received the baptism of his spirit and spoke in other tongues as the spirit gave me the utterance. I spoke. And now I can start working on the works, not because I want to be saved, but because I am saved. So here's a guy that should have been saved by that. He saw in a vision evidently about the ninth hour of the day an angel of God coming into him saying, Cornelius, he looked on him and he was afraid and he said, what is it, Lord? Same question that Saul asked. But he doesn't answer that question. He only says, thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial to God, so send men to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. Tells him where to go, what the house is, the street and all that. I told you the angels aren't gonna preach. And Jesus isn't gonna preach, it's up to us. Well, it's, it's up to the apostles. No, it's up to all of us because we are apostolic. It's on us. And so he sends his servants to go and get Peter. And the Lord goes looking for Peter. Peter, here I am, Lord, watch this. And he drops a sheet, it's about lunchtime. Anybody hungry here today? I better keep this short then. <laughs> Peter, are you hungry? Yes, sir. Watch this. He drops a sheet out of heaven and on it are these animals. But they're unclean animals to the Jews. They're not allowed to eat these kinds of animals. And the Lord says, slay them and eat them. And he said, oh, no way, Lord. No unclean thing has ever entered my mouth. Doesn't sound like the same Peter of a few years ago, does it? With a mouth 
He's concerned about his mouth now. He wasn't concerned about his mouth earlier. But he's a changed man now. And so he drops it again, a second and even a third time. But the second time he drops it and says, take, slay, and eat, Peter says, not so, Lord. And the Lord said, do not call that common or unclean which the Lord has cleansed. And Peter goes, I don't have a clue what that means. I have no understanding of what you're trying to tell me. And then he says, there are three men at your door and they're gonna ask you to go with them and I want you to doubt nothing. Go with them. When he found out they were Gentiles, he was hesitant, but he had heard the voice. And so he took some witnesses with him and he went to Cornelius' house. And when he got there, he began to preach to Cornelius. And while he was still speaking, if you read, if you drop down to 44 of Acts 10, while Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. And they of the circumcision which believed were astonished as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. So they received the Holy Ghost during the preaching of the word. And then Peter said, well, can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? You have the same experience that we have. Now I command you. I'm not offering you a suggestion. Well, I'll pray about it. You can pray about it all you want. It isn't going to change anything. This is a requirement. And Jesus Christ is the author of eternal salvation to them that obey him. Obedience is a part of salvation. So he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. And then they wanted to hear. Are you getting it? God was looking for Cornelius, but he also had to look for Peter. And then he brought them together. You're not here by accident today. Let me give you one more example and then I'm gonna quit. I remember going to Singapore. Uh, Brother Willoughby was on furlough back in the States and Sister Kylie and I and our, our kids went to Singapore to take the church for a month. The very first day that I was in Singapore, I went for my morning walk with the Lord. And I, I, if I come across a lot of people, I tend not to look at them because I'm not looking for a conversation with them I'm looking for a conversation with him. So, you know, I'll just kind of look away from him and keep walking. But this one guy, he just wasn't going to have any of it. And he came up to me and said, sir, are you from America? And I said, yes, I am. He said, are you a preacher? I said, yes, I am. He said, would you talk to me? Well, yes, I will. <laughs> So we sat down and he said, here's my problem. Now, here's what I want you to remember while I tell you this story. God was looking for him. He already knew where I was. 
So he brought him to me. Sometimes God will bring people to you. Sometimes God will send you to people. But it's so that he can connect you. So the guy said, here's my problem. He said, in our, in our country, there's two kinds of people, poor and rich. I'm very, very rich. Very rich. I have lots of money. I'll never be able to spend it all. And I have given my daughter the finest education in the world. I've spent a lot of money and given her a lot of training and I want her to take over my business. That's what we do in this country. We pass the business down to our children and we keep it in our generations. That is a great honor to the family name. Do you understand that? Yes, sir, I understand that. He said, but my daughter had this born again experience that her husband ushered her into. And now she says, because she's received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, she's not concerned about money and is not interested in my business. This offends me and disgraces my family. Do you understand that? I said, yes, sir, I do understand that. He said, okay, so now what are you gonna tell me? I said, well, here's what I'm gonna tell you. I'm gonna tell you why your daughter has been born again and what I believe God is doing in her life. And so I talked to him about the born again experience and explained about how you can be so excited that you can be very zealous when you first receive the Holy Ghost and I don't think she mean to offend you. Okay, okay, so I go to his house and talk to his wife. He grabs me by the arm and says, we're gonna go talk. So I have breakfast with them and tell her the same thing. They come to church because of the explanation about the born again experience. Day two, out for another walk. Again, don't look at people when you're walking. Keep going. This time I walk by a picnic table and the Lord speaks to my mind. Stop. I want you to talk to this guy at the picnic table. I said, how do I know this is you, Lord? He said, well, ask him if he understands what he's reading. Because he was reading a book. Well, I knew that was in the Bible. So, okay, so I sit down with this guy. Uh, Sir, uh, sorry to bother you. Uh, Do you understand what you're reading? Yes, I do. What are you reading? I'm reading my Bible. Oh, let's talk about it. Do you know who the man was? He was the son-in-law of the man I had met the previous day, the one that led his daughter into this new religion. How does... I mean, God is the greatest puppet master. If he could just get people to cooperate a little more, he knows what he's doing. And they came to church, and they're all in the, in the church together now because God knows where you are, and he's looking for you. Let's stand together. So here, let me leave you with this. God is looking for you. He's either looking to introduce you to a relationship deeper than the relationship you've ever known to this point. And let me say this to you. I'm glad this is being recorded. I don't care what religion you are. There's a positive side to this. But God may be taking you farther than what you've experienced. We can build on the fact that people believe in God or believe in the Bible. We can build on it. We don't have to tear them down and say, 
well, you're not like me. So you, you know, there's no hope for you. We're the only ones. No, you're making a big mistake. I was raised a Methodist. Thank God. The Methodist taught me the Bible's the word of God. I didn't have that struggle when I came to a Pentecostal church. I already believed the Bible. I just didn't know it. And somebody is here to help you today. There are Bible study teachers. There are, are people that, have, that are willing to pray with you. Or maybe you just need to be alone and find God at an altar today. Even a few minutes of saying, Lord, uh, this is all new to me. But whatever you've got for my life, I want it all. I want everything you've got for my life because I realize now that you've been looking for me. Jesus, I pray today by your spirit that you would draw people to an altar today and that you would finish, Lord, what you've started in this message, letting people know that even though they... Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.